If you've got a Bible in front of you, it would probably be helpful to have it open. Thanks, Alan. Thank you. Now I was brought up by a preacher, a vicar, and my my childhood was kind of um, based in kind of bits of Old Testament prophecy, and I'd get called downstairs because he found a bit of Isaiah that he wanted to talk to me about. And one of the things that my dad would say over and over again is that particularly when Jesus quotes the Old Testament, that it's like an iceberg and that you just see the tip, maybe a little verse, and that as you then go back to where that is in the Old Testament, that there's this kind of richness of understanding that is really helpful. That is not the case with Melchizedek. If you were reading um, the Bible for the first time in the New Testament and you read Hebrews, particularly this chapter, you would be forgiven for thinking that Melchizedek must be some major Old Testament character. There's probably, you know, a a book um, dedicated to him because he seems such a massive part of of this theology. But I'm going to read to you now the kind of whole passage from Genesis about Melchizedek. So this is from Genesis 14. So in this, Abraham, who is at this point known as Abram, has just defeated a load of armies um, in order to rescue his nephew Lot. And it says this, After Abram returned from defeating Kedaloamah and the kings allied with him, the kings of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh. That is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abraham gave, Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. That's it. That's all the reference that we really get to the story of Melchizedek. He is mentioned once more in the Old Testament, in Psalm 110. Where in verse 4 it says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, the reference in Psalm 110 almost makes it more interesting because that's the psalm that Jesus goes on to quote when he's talking about himself and himself as the Messiah. So in Mark 12, Jesus quotes it. And he quotes it in the context of proving that the Messiah is eternal. um, He says, the Lord says to my Lord, and uses that to explain that if if that's David talking to, to his Lord, that, you know, that... The Messiah is someone who is eternal and who is not just David. So it can be a bit confusing because we think, well, why does the writer of the Hebrews, whoever that is, go to all this trouble talking about Melchizedek? Well, there are different theories, as always, and I'm not a scholar, but kind of looking, you know, to give you a brief overview. So some people would suggest that Melchizedek um, was just a, a picture of Jesus, um, some people would think that he was a perfect man and that's why he was like Jesus. And some people think it was Jesus kind of living in that very early Old Testament time. 
Now, my best guess at this, and other best guesses are available and up for debate, is that Melchizedek is pictured here as an example of forerunner of Jesus in that he's outside of that kind of Judaic system of priests and Levite priests and those structures and the temples and the routines that the Levite priests had. And you might wonder why that's such an important point to make, but Hebrews was almost certainly written to the Jewish, a Jewish part of an early church, though no one really knows exactly where that was. And to them, the idea that there could be a great high priest outside of this Levite order would have felt quite alien. A bit like if on the news tomorrow we heard that the Pope had died and they'd they'd actually found a local postman who was going to take over as Pope. It would almost feel kind of offensive that what he's saying, that Jesus the carpenter, this man from Nazareth who hung around with fishermen, that he was going to take on that role of priest. Because throughout the Old Testament and in the Jewish faith still, the priest has really important roles. He's the person who helps people to deal with their sin and to find forgiveness. The priest is the person who pronounces people as being clean. And the priest is the person who is in charge of ordinary people having access to God and to the glory of God. So writing to this early Jewish church, the idea that Jesus, this man that perhaps they'd heard stories of, rumours of, this carpenter from Galilee, that he would be the great high priest. So the writer of Hebrews is going out of their way to explain there is this different order of priests that goes right back to Abraham, that Melchizedek was a different order, outside of that structure and hierarchy. And again, we might think, well, we know that Jesus is the high priest, so that's fine, we've got that box ticked. But I think for all of us, and particularly for us as a community, there's always a temptation to go back to those structures and to go back to that hierarchy and to put your faith in that. And for us as a church, you know, in the process of looking for a pastor, it would be really easy for us to put our faith in the structure and the organisation of having a pastor. And actually, I think it's really exciting when you read the vision leaflet that it's just seeped in Jesus. That's who we're serving. That's who we're seeking. That's who we're following. And we hope that perhaps we'll get a pastor who will support us in that as a community, but that we're seeking Jesus much more than we're seeking a pastor, that Jesus is who our faith is in. And for each of us, perhaps we have different structures or routines that we find comfort in, particularly in times of uncertainty. There are our organisations or um, habits where you find your safety. And it might be easy to look at other people's, you know, when we look at different parts of the New Testament, letters to different parts of the church, and they're being told to, you know, not sacrifice food to pagans. That seems pretty obvious. But for the Hebrews here, what they're saying is, don't put your faith in that Levite order. Don't put your faith in those sacrifices of of goats and pigeons. Don't put your faith in the temple. Put your faith in Jesus. And although not a lot is known about who Hebrews was written by or to, 
it's likely that the church would have been facing significant persecution. And the um, Gentile bit of the church would have needed Jesus. They'd have really had to cling on to him because their alternative was these pagan temples that they knew they shouldn't go near. But perhaps for the Jewish part of the church, it would have just been that bit more tempting to just slide back into the temple, to slip back into those routines, to find God in those Levite priests, to deal with their sin, to tell them that they're clean, and to have access to the holiness of God through those old structures. But Jesus is from the order of Melchizedek. So he's outside this. He's not, he's not like an add-on extra. He's not like an extra app that you get to kind of upgrade your faith. He is a whole different model, a whole different um, game, really, compared to that, that old faith of going to the temple and offering animal sacrifices. So the, um, Hebrews 7.11, if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? So however well you followed that Levite priesthood, it was not ever going to be enough. Jesus is a different order. And really that whole chapter, the whole of chapter 7 is building up to verses 24 and 25 but because Jesus lives forever he has a permanent priesthood therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them and perhaps we know that Jesus is our saviour but we need to be reminded again that because Jesus is that whole other order he is not a set of routines he is not um, a complicated set of religious practices Jesus is a different order so he is able to save us completely because he's always with us he is eternal and he is the high priest who is able to completely deal with our sin and tell us that we're clean and give us access to the glory of God in a way that those old structures and religions never could. And however long we've been a Christian, we need to hear again that he is able to save us completely. And Almost to finish, I want to go back to that story in Genesis because there was something in it that really struck me. If I'm really honest, those few verses didn't give me huge insights into the character of Jesus. But something did strike me which reminded me about how we act sometimes towards Jesus. So if we go back to the story, it says, the Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High and he blessed Abraham. Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High who delivered your enemies into your hands. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. And I was reminded that with our high priest, with Jesus, our Melchizedek, that he comes out and he invites us to his table to have bread and wine. And he invites us to do that because of what he's done 
what he has completed, because he is eternal, because he has fully saved us. He invites us to the table and he blesses us. And then in response to that, Abraham gives him a tenth of everything. So whatever it is that we do in response to God, perhaps there is a financial tithe, or giving time, or money, or serving, or loving people, or whatever it is that we do to express that faith in action, that that is in a response to Jesus just welcoming us to the table. And so in a few minutes when we take communion, be reminded that you were invited to the table just as you are before you've made that offering, that you are welcome here. And it strikes me that, again, however long you've been a Christian, however much head knowledge you've got of what Jesus has done on the cross, it's really easy to say, I see what you've done on the cross, Jesus, and I'm just going to add this in, just in case, just this bit of helpful service, this offering that I'm giving you, this hard work, that I'm doing, this patience that I'm demonstrating, I'm just going to add that in. But we don't need to add anything into the cross. We are saved completely and welcome to the table. And anything that we do is a response to that. There is nothing that we can do that will save us. Jesus has completely done that. And so we are welcomed, as we are, to share in bread and wine with our high priest because he has completely dealt with our sin. He has called us completely clean, and he invites us into the presence of God. I'm going to pray to finish. What a blessing it is to follow you, Jesus. A high priest who has saved us completely, No sacrifices needed on our part. You've done that and completed the work. I'm sorry for when we try and add in to what you've done. Help us to come humbly to join you at the table just because you invite us, just because you want to bless us. Amen.